As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with AMB, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, the recruiting window that started on June 1st has been open for about 30-ish hours now as we record this on Wednesday morning. Why hasn't Ohio State gotten a commitment yet? I know. it's They should just fold up shop out there. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. Um, I don't know. I'm already tired, and I haven't even had to do anything. I can't imagine what it would be like uh, to be a, a coach this month. Um, I saw that Pantone said, Mark Pantone said last week that they have 50 total official visitors usually uh, during an entire calendar year, and they're going to have that many uh, in June. So, like, that's what's happening right now. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the idea is, and I'm sure we'll get into this into the podcast, but, like, everybody is super eager to visit everywhere now because they've been cooped up for the past 15 months it's like why is the expectation that there's going to be a bunch of commitments an hour into it right. <laughs> the whole point of this is that they're finally going to get to go see places so why would they just go visit one place and shut it down like this should be drawn out and i don't know like last year at this time there was like a, com- a commitment frenzy like everybody was committing to everywhere when they weren't allowed to go anywhere and like this year i think you if you look at the recruiting rankings ohio state's pretty ahead of the curve right now so uh, is there like a general expectation that they're going to be 80% done with their class by the end of this month? Is that what people think? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess we, I, I had that in our, in our rundown here. Let's just get to that first because I do think it's top of mind for people. Because I got asked yesterday on, on Tuesday, like over under on number of commitments in the month of June. And I think I, I said, like, it might be zero, at least in the class of 2022. I think it might be zero, which would make total sense to me. Maybe you see a guy in 23 or 24 pop even um, over the next month or so. I think that's possible. But I think the class of 2022 is going to play let it play out and go take all these visits, right? Like, I think you're right. In June, Typically, there are a lot of fireworks in June, but also typically June is sort of like the culmination of something like guys would have gone to campus on in the fall, maybe stopped by for spring practice like they have been on campus multiple times usually before they get there for their official visit in June. And then they just kind of like put the stamp on things once they get there. That's not what this is. Everyone's been in their house for 15 months. Um, like a very small handful of players have paid their own way to kind of travel and just walk around campus and get the vibe for the cities. But most of the players have not done that. So this is the first time they're doing this. And it's the first weekend they're allowed to do this. And there's four more weekends of it. So I'm not really on alert for anything to pop for Ohio State in June as it relates to the class of 22. Uh, and, and that's not to say it can't happen, but... I, th- I think we need to be maybe realistic about what's happening here. These guys are, are going to – at least I would hope they're going to kind of try to do their due diligence and, and take all these visits now that they're allowed to. It's like the only thing that you could think of is if somebody really, really loves Ohio State, they feel like they're 95% sure they want to commit, they go and then they see the last 5% by experiencing what they couldn't experience. And I think that people have to keep in mind that despite the fact that they were only on Zoom – They've been inundated with conversation more frequently than they've been used to in the past. So I think that prospects, generally speaking, have A, gotten used to communicating over Zoom and and visiting over Zoom, uh, but B, now have an abundance of information based on these never-ending conversations to feel like they at least know what their top five is heading into this, this part of the year. But you have to remember, it's a different starting point. And like if you look at the top four teams in the recruiting rankings for the 2022 class. It's Georgia. They've got 12 commitments. Ohio State's got 12. LSU has 13. And Notre Dame has 13. And that's pretty advanced. If you like, look at a lot of the other teams that are usually accustomed to finishing in the top 10, like Oklahoma has nine commits. Texas has eight. Florida State has nine. Alabama only has six. Michigan has seven. Oregon has eight. USC has six. Florida has six. Clemson has four. It's just now getting started, and I think it's like the reverse of what we experienced last year. So, you know, I think it's possible that there could be a barrage of commitments in mid to late June once multiple visits have come. And if you've seen some of these graphics, you know, you've got prospects who are trying to fit seven, seven, eight visits in in a month. Midweek visits, official visits are now bleeding into the middle of the week um, because you have five visits, and a lot of people want to do it while they can in June. Um, So... Like the joke of why aren't there any commitments is funny. Uh, there should be fireworks, but I also feel like it's completely opposite of what's supposed to and what will happen. Yeah, in Ohio State's case, I, I think it could be like I think the profile of a guy who could commit in June is like an in-state guy, right? A guy who's who's probably been around the campus and the program in person a little more than than a guy certainly from out of state. But if you look at who they're recruiting in twenty twenty two, like I think like the only guy who fits that bill is Emil Wagner. Uh, from Wayne, the offensive tackle, and otherwise the rest of the guys in the state, they're kind of slow playing. Um, there's a kid, uh, Carter Smith, from Olentangy Liberty, who is on campus 
on Tuesday for an unofficial visit and then got invited for an official visit, which I think is noteworthy. He's an offensive tackle in the class of 2022, has some power five offers. Um, looks like the, looks like the kind of kid we typically see sort of blow up over the summer and, and ultimately maybe end up getting an Ohio State offer. Like if something happened with him and he got offered in June, maybe he'd commit. Um, I don't think Emil Wagner is going to commit in June because I think Notre Dame is a major player there too. And otherwise, I'm just not sure who among the guys that are recruiting who are still on their board are going to like visit Ohio State this weekend or next weekend and then commit without taking the rest of their visits. It's also worth noting too that 12 of the top 15 players in Ohio are already committed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the one thing that I would be interested to see too, and this won't just be in-state prospects, but this new one-on-one workout rule and like how Ohio State's going to use it because – when you're Ohio State, you might not need them as much as a middle-tier program who needs more evaluation. Ohio State's like, okay, well, who are the top 150 players on the board or uh, nationally on, on the big board, and we're going to take 25 of those guys, and it's super easy. And I, I think it's an interesting dynamic to think about how these coaching staffs are going to use their time between exhausting all their resources and energy on official visitors who are clearly – scholarship worthy and our priorities versus how much they're going to spend with coaches working out players who are fringe. And in the past, Ohio state would probably utilize this tool a lot with Ohio prospects because those are the the gems that they want to get. They want to get those gritty fringe four-star three-star offensive tackles who, you know, they think move well that can develop into a, into a great body and a good player by year three or four. Like the Gavin Cups of the world are the types of players I feel like that would utilize that the most, Um, especially now that they haven't had the ability to uh, view them at all for the past 15 months. So this is going to be big, but it's just like I'm looking at the the list of in-state prospects here and, you know, like Blake Miller, I think is the top 200 player he's committed to Clemson. And then after that, you know, there's a drop off into the 300s where you have the Kentuckys of the world and, you know, Penn State's in there for a few guys that Ohio State doesn't have room for, but like there isn't really an emphasis now on what Ohio's going, Ohio State's going to do in Ohio because I think the, the talent that, for the most part, is good enough to play at Ohio State is either committed to Ohio State or spoken for, and they don't have room for them. So, you know, I, I don't know what the balance is going to be and if there's, there's three-star kids in Indiana and Pennsylvania and, and Kentucky that they want to come and have those camps, but I'm very interested to see how much Ohio State utilizes those one-on-ones in comparison to maybe some of the other places that are going to rely on them heavily. They are using them. They've, I mean, they've done that already. They're yeah. one day into this, and they've done it. Like the the Carter Smith kid that I mentioned did work out for them um, yesterday, Tuesday. Delian Bradley is a three star safety from Springfield, Ohio. Worked out for them on Tuesday. But both of those guys, I think, are they're the kind of player like you want to see them in person, get a feel for them, see how they've kind of matured physically, get to know them per- personality wise. But they're still, like I think, backburner players, right? I don't think you take Delian Bradley unless you know you're not going to get Zion Branch and Xavier Nwankba. And I don't think you're going to take Carter Smith unless you know you're not going to get, like, I don't know, one of the five-star tackles you're after or Emil Wagner or Addison Nichols. Like, I, I think those, these are guys you kind of try to keep warm. Um, and But these one-on-one workouts where you get to work for an hour with one coach and no other players, which is kind of bizarre, um, can give you a feel for that, especially after a year where you didn't get to go watch these guys play on the field uh, as high schoolers. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny that Pantone can't watch. He can watch. He so just he can't, can't be on the field and participate in it. He can, they can film it. Yeah, they can observe, but they can't like get up. I mean, and teams are going to skirt that, right? Like, who, no one's there watching. Like, whatever. Who cares? I don't care if they do skirt it. But the, I think technically the rule is like one coach, one player, and like everyone else can observe. Yeah, I. 
it's just really funny to me because these are the guys that are doing 95% of the evaluation. So you would think that they would be the ones that were the most involved in this. Uh, but the, the, the other point I want to make too, it's that it's not only about how fast or how high or how strong or how fast somebody is or how high they can jump or how strong they are. But there is, uh, I think, something that you can gain from, you know, judging their temperament as people during those workouts, too. If you challenge them or you, you know, criticize them and, you know, the certain things that you might be able to pick up on if you're a coach and can read body language or, or emotional reactions to things that could be helpful in terms of, you know, what you might like about that prospect. But, you know, the fact that it's all happening at once is super crazy to me. You know, and it's it wasn't designed this way. Nobody planned for a pandemic. The rule changes were all in place, you know, or half were in place before this pandemic happened. You know, you add in this one-on-one workout rule to make up for the fact that there's been no evaluation or virtually no evaluation for the past 15 months. And I think it's a good thing. But it's like between official visitors, uh, unofficial visitors, these one-on-one workouts, NIL hanging over their head, the new transfer rules, so people are having to recategorize in their brains like how much of their recruiting classes are going to be dedicated to transfers as opposed to, to high school prospects. It's kind of a lot. And as we see the sport kind of evolve into something different, which I think you will be anytime that you're completely changing or at least making a significant change to the way that talent is accumulated, um, it just seems to me to be like a very critical month, not just for who's going to commit or what's going to happen or which prospects like Ohio State more than they did last month. It's more so about like Ohio State's overall philosophy in a ring, wide ranging um, of changes. There's a lot There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, and you and Bruce Feldman wrote a story this week kind of about the changing landscape of recruiting, which I encourage people to go read. Subscribe, subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash four dash six and get you signed up. So like I'm curious, and, and, and you're reporting with Bruce on that, like, this month is very weird. It's a different month than we've ever seen in in the history of recruiting because of the pandemic and, and what it led to. What is the anticipation of like how much something like this this month is going to become the norm moving forward? Or is there an anticipation this is just a one-off weird time and like next year will be normal and June won't be a complete shit show? Well, between Bruce and I, I think we talked to 20 or 25 people. So like we did our work. And I think that the number one takeaway that I, I would – you know, people use the word chaos a lot, which is fine. But I think general uncertainty is probably a better way to describe it. People just act like they know what's going to happen, but nobody knows what's going to happen. And one coach that we quoted in the story asserted that it's possible that only uh, a certain number or a small number of high school players will even sign anymore and that JUCO will become a minor league team because everybody's going to want to sign players out of the transfer portal who already burned their one-year transfer, which I think is a little dramatic. But anytime you open up the door to a new rule, everybody scrambles to adjust to that new rule, and everybody uses that rule um, to their advantage when they where they see they can have one. And then that turns into change. It's the same thing that happened with the National Signing Day early, early period. It's like the NCAA didn't, you know, put that rule in place so that 95% of prospects would sign then, but that's what happened, you know, and it's just kind of an interesting thing to track because there's two two pieces of evolution, right? There's the, the rule change, and then there's how we adapt to that rule. And when you're doing it with three or four all at the same time, especially with different states, you know, with different COVID laws and different legislation plans for, for NIL, um, there's just a lot happening, and 
you know, when it all happens at once, I don't know if like things are going to be set in stone by the end of this month, but I think in five years, it's possible we might look back at June, 2021 and think that's where this all began, you know? And I, I, I just don't know, like, is Ohio state going to start signing seven to 12 transfers a year and then only taking classes of 13 or 14 out of high school? Or are they just getting the best players out of high school and it doesn't apply to them? You know, it's just a very interesting thing because I think coaches are going to try to have a roster. Like, what percentage of the roster does Ohio State have to have of players who already burned their one-time transfer for them to feel comfortable? You know, and it's like that's part of the, it's almost like a keeper keeper league, right? Where a fantasy league where you have players that you want on your roster for X number of years, but their value fluctuates based on whether or not you can keep them for the next few years. If there's a time limit and it's just like those aren't the same exact thing, but a player's inherent value might be higher now if you know they've got to go jump through more hoops to leave your program. Right. It's it's just I, I don't know how Ohio State's going to do. It. My my inclination is to think that Ohio State will will still mostly build with high school recruits and not be a team that has you know close to double digit spots reserved for transfers every year. I just don't think that that OSU is going to do that because uh, I don't think they'll have to do that. But it was interesting when we talked with Mark Pantoni last week. He kind of volunt. I, I forget exactly what he was asked, but he was not asked so pointedly that, that that it led him to this response. But he said the last year allowed him to do more scouting, and when he meant that, he meant like advanced scouting to help the coaching staff week to week during games. But in the course of doing that, he was keeping an eye on players on other teams in case some of those, some of those guys went into the portal. So like Mark Pantoni's job and and the, the job of the player uh, personnel directors across the country like has shifted dramatically because like there's an entire other pool of players now that they have to scout in addition to all the high school players they scout every year and somebody said in our reporting that they think that there's enough people in the transfer portal to to completely field all of division one football and i don't know i've never looked at the portal myself i know don't you don't you have access to it i don't i i ask people who do yeah. so i don't know i don't know, I don't how know they the football numbers random reporters at the athletic have it but yeah, there are a vast number of players in there, and it's just like if you're Michigan State, do you want to take the three-star developmental player out of high school who hasn't transferred yet, or do you want to take the the transfer from Louisville who has started one year or a half of a year and can't transfer again? And it's like depending on the pure total of players in that portal, you might have coaches who are signing five to ten high school players in a given year and only taking transfers, and then. You know, on top of this, too, the one thing that we haven't even mentioned, I didn't even mention on Andy Staples' show, but it's just like, what are we doing with the surplus of kids that don't have spots right now because of the extra year of, of eligibility that was handed out last year? Like, they, they rewarded teams, not rewarded, they gave players who lost their senior seasons an extra year of eligibility, but everybody got that extra year, which means that there's an entire class of kids that might not have a spot. You know, one way or the other. Some players left, some came back, but like, what are we doing about that? It's just, it seems nothing. Yeah. It seems like a log jam of talent. I'm just wondering like if Juco is Juco going to be different in five years than it is right now. I think we view Juco as guys with academic problems or people who flamed out of college and, you know, need that second chance to get things right. But it's possible that Juco might be the minor leagues for college while college is the minor leagues for the NFL. Like that, could, I could see that happening. Yeah. I think I can get on board with that. I, I don't know. The the thing you shared earlier from that from that one coach sounded a, a bit dramatic to me, like you said. But 
I, I do think there are going to be players who are kind of stuck in that little bit of like purgatory, for, for lack of a better word. What if it's and, 30% of them? I mean, it could be that high. I guess it depends on how many. I, I don't know the numbers on football. Um, I know the numbers on basketball because they're just a little more widely reported. And it's something like, I think like on average, like there's three players per team in the transfer portal, but there are like 350 Division One basketball teams. So that, that's a lot of players, like 2,000 yeah. players. And people leaving programs create spots too. So I, I understand that. But I'm not even just talking about um, transfers that are going from Division One to Division One, but I'm talking about you know really good players from the MAC or the or the Group of Five going into the Power Five, and it's like these. I think it's possible that the there could be an influx of talent in the Group of Five and and JUCO ranks as a result of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true too because I don't. What I would hope would happen is like a kid puts his name in the portal. There's just nothing out there for him. Like he can go back to the team that he transferred from. But like we you know that's not going to happen. I mean, it'll happen in some cases. I know uh, Texas just had a linebacker who was in the portal um, come out and go back to Texas, which probably is a good sign for Ohio State's pursuit of Pallier and Gatiote. Um, But I don't think that's going to be the norm. I think more often than not, once you open that door to go into the transfer portal, the team you're leaving is not going to welcome you back, or the or the percentage of that chance of that happening is, is minuscule yeah yeah so it's just kind of you know a critical time in, in the sport and you know it, it's funny because the people listen to this podcast love ohio state and all the issues that surround college football like 85 percent of them don't apply to ohio state because they like live in their own world with alabama and clemson and georgia but it does impact the teams they're playing you know so indirectly yeah, it does yeah. impact them but if Ohio, it's gonna, State, it's gonna, if, if Ohio State takes 12 top 100 players every year, they're going to take top. I mean, there's nothing more pure than getting the best overall talents out of the high school level. It's like drafting, uh, you know, uh, uh, the top level prospect uh, baseball team out of high school. Like you want the best young talent. But it's amazing to me how much more freely talent is going to be able to drift from one program to the other now. Yeah, and it's not it, it's this isn't unique to the Big Ten, but we'll just mention it because Ohio State's in the Big Ten, and that's what we're talking about. Like the, I think the complexion of the Big Ten and how many of the teams in this league build their rosters is going to change because of this. Like I don't, I don't like again, again I don't think it's going to change Ohio State. Maybe it doesn't change like Michigan and, and Penn State. Illinois all that much, is the one, that but like Ill, like yeah. Indiana, Indiana just picked up Stephen Carr from USC. Like Rutgers has added, I think. 20-something transfers in the last two years since Greg Schiano got there, like at least half of them from Power 5 programs. Michigan State, who you mentioned, I think is going to do it to help expedite Mel Tucker's build there. So, like, everyone but the top three or four programs, I think, in every league are going to try to build their programs this way because it's probably a little easier and it, and it speeds up the process of becoming a respectable team a little bit. Yeah, I'm actually curious, too, because right now when we think of transfers, Ohio State got the best transfer in the history of the portal. But for the most part, Jonah Jackson. Yes, uh, <laughs> he's actually a really, really good one. I mean, is, like, yeah. I mean that's he's probably he's a top NFL ten starter. one. He's an NFL yeah. starter right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm wondering if the perception of the portal is going to change as a result of how freely you can move from one team to the other now. Because right now, I kind of feel like people view the portal as castoffs uh, or players who didn't make it at their former roster who are just trying to find a place to get on the field faster. And that's probably true for 75% of the guys. You know, it's like funny because that was ultimately true for Justin Fields. You know, doesn't mean he wasn't great. Um, but I'm wondering if there's if the quality of talent in the portal is going to increase because of the ease of transferring now. Like, even if the player is really, really good and started, doesn't like his situation or doesn't feel at home at that program, or instead of feeling like it has to sit, he has to sit out, he can be like, I'm going to transfer wherever I want right now. I just don't like this team anymore for whatever reason. If this is just going to happen more often, if the portal is going to be, if the top 60 players in the portal every year are borderline all-American bona fide starters that are going to be going from team to team, Right, like Henry Toa Toa, is that like yeah. the example of what's going to be around now, more regularly? Well, or is that I a think bad example like from, because he's like from a program that's undergoing did a coaching change. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think there's some of that too. But but I also think that's applicable to like guy like there, this corner from from Tulsa, um, a Caleb Evans. Like he's really good. And I, I don't know, like probably going to, going to like Notre Dame or something. And like, I can't imagine he left Tulsa because he felt underutilized. Like he was probably the best defensive player uh, outside of Zayvon Collins, I guess. But, um, you know, there's an opportunity to better your situation. And I think a lot of guys are going to take advantage of that. How much do you think people will leave Michigan State to go to Alabama? Um... I think there might be a lot of people who would want to leave Michigan State to go to Alabama. It's just a matter of whether or not Alabama would want them. But Who's the I best player I... of Michigan State's era the last five years? Oh. That's tough. Okay, um, let's just use Connor Cook as an example. Connor Cook, yeah. If Florida State needs a starting quarterback for whatever reason, is the all is the reigning Big Ten, all, all Big Ten quarterback from a team that's not going to beat Ohio State going to go play for Florida State now? No, I don't think so because that's like I think that's at best like a lateral move, right? Because you're going to go to Florida State, you're not going to. Okay, well, let's change Florida State to Clemson. Yeah, if Clemson needed a quarterback for sure. Although Dabo like doesn't do transfers, been... right? Isn't that against his rules? Okay, let me come up with them. <laughs> Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Sometimes I miss you, and sometimes I want to slap you in the face, and this is this is both. <laughs> no, but it's like, J, like JT Daniels going to Georgia, right? Yeah, I don't know, like just a or USC. I mean, uh. All I'm trying to say is, will an all-Big Ten player who has his starting spot locked up go to a place that has better tradition, bigger stadium, better history? Just because he wants to. Yeah, like Michael Penix Jr. go play for Georgia if they needed a quarterback? Yeah, this is when you tell me that Georgia has back-to-back five-star prospects. But I'm just coming up with fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Yeah, I I think that scenario is likely to happen in the years to come. Yeah. Because it's just like... Teams can get decimated. Yep. And like now you can transfer interconference. So like what's the, what if the best player at Penn State 
What if Caden Saunders wants to play at Ohio State in two years and is really good? He transfers without penalty. Yeah, <laughs> I know, he's, I know. He's but it's, it's just insane. <laughs> and it's like we talk about NFL free agency is fun and the draft is fun because it's chaos, but it's like are we on the verge of that in college football where you have transfer rumors or like fans at stands holding up transfer here signs or you know, yeah. or, a, or a player who's a sophomore who just – had a breakout season are, are other fans going to be like why are you wasting your talent there like i don't know it's yeah i get and that's where like i'm i'm very much in favor of empowering the players player agency all that stuff but that that to me like that that drastic like freedom of movement is to me where i think like college football starts to like fundamentally change in a way that i'm not so sure is good um, like, if there's a coaching change, absolutely, you should be able to leave and play right away. If there's stuff going on with your family, you should be able to leave and play right away and not have to go to that antiquated waiver process, like whatever. I think, by and large, the one-time transfer is very good. But in those specific situations you're talking about, um, guys just says, like, you know what, this team stinks, so I'm going to go play for a team that's better, even though I've been treated really well here and have no other reason to leave other than I don't. I want to be in a on a better team. Like, that is where it gets a little okay. dicey. Just for fun, I went and pulled up the all-Big Ten teams from last year and the all big 10 quarterbacks were Justin Fields, Michael Penix Jr. And Peyton Ramsey running packs were Muhammad Ibrahim, Tyler Goodson, Stevie Scott. Um, wide receivers were David Pell and, and Ty Fry Fogle. Like, and I'm not, I mean, I'm leaving Ohio state play, but Rashad Bateman, Jahan Dotson, there are a lot of really good players on other teams in the big 10. And it might be one offs like Cole, like Cole Bonwart of Iowa, who's a really, really good inside guard or inside offensive tackle. Um, but if you like go look, the reason why these other teams can't compete with Ohio State is because they're outclassed at every single position. But every Big Ten team has a stud somewhere. And it doesn't matter. Like I mean, if you like look at the list here, you've got Indiana, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, and uh, Purdue. I mean, there's all Big Ten players all over the place. And I'm just like wondering if like I don't know like Jason Owech Oway leaves or is he just so integrated into Penn State at that point and, and like was Greg Newsom the second leave Northwestern yeah yeah I, I think it's possible I, I also I also think when we do that we don't like give enough credit to guys just being happy where they are even if the team is not you know a power or, or even particularly good but it's going to happen for sure it's going to happen and yeah. I think, you know, teams are going to do things. The teams on the other end of that transaction, the teams that are good and getting the good player, are going to probably do things to to find a way to get in that kid's ear and, and try to persuade him to come over to the team that has a chance to compete for championships. The funniest thing, too, is that we talk so much about, like, Iowa State, for example. I'm obsessed with Iowa State because they were the number 57 overall team in the in the talent composite rankings last year and they almost won the big 12 and Iowa state has done that because their head coach and their recruiting staff has done a tremendous job of identifying diamonds in the rough. And it just like the reason why Iowa state had one of the best seasons in program history is because it's a payoff of being able to evaluate talent at a high level. And it's like, is Iowa state now just doing everybody's dirty work for them? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like uh, we had the similar company, like Luke fickle does is doing that too. Right. Is like Luke Fickle going to just develop the nice future wave of Ohio State defensive linemen or linebackers? 
my guess would be no. I don't. I don't think it's going to be quite that that dramatic because Cincinnati is good and is going to compete for conference championships. And who knows what the playoff landscape is going to look like too. But and also he has a good. I know. I'm not. I'm not trying to be like devil's advocate there. I, but I am thinking. I'm thinking it's not going to be quite that dramatic. Because you know how it is in college is football, man. You open the door a little bit and it gets stomped open. So yeah. You know, and yeah. it might not happen this way in 2023 or 24, but it might be this way in 2031. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, who knows what it's going to look like in 2031. Yeah. For all so, I know, players are going to be getting paid in 2031. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's just like I know a lot of time is spent on this podcast wondering what's going to happen when we're grand- grandparents. But <laughs> it's just – it's kind of just very fun but scary at the same time. Because Ohio State already has a big enough talent advantage. They don't need to be like, well, our uh, outside linebacker isn't going to be a first-round pick this year, so we're just going to go take Iowa's. Like, that <laughs> He's was only going to be a third-round pick, so let me go get a first-rounder. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, is Ohio State – Like, I wonder if – it's funny, too, because last year Alabama just tied Miami's record for six first-round draft picks uh, in a single year. It's like, in 2034, is a team going to have 13 – yeah, just raid the transfer portal for raid yeah, the transfer I mean, portal. Go play for Alabama for a year, win a national championship, and then go. Because it's just one hundred seven year old Nick Saban is hoisting his fifteenth national title don't, trophy. Don't laugh, man. Uh, <laughs> because it's like the sport is already set up to reward the teams that are already built, and I think the fun thing about following recruiting and following college football in general for teams of middle tier fan bases is to see who can build it up. And I think that this, and maybe this is an interesting story, but I think these rule changes are going to make it harder for them to do that. Yeah. it's Everybody thinks, oh my God, it's going to be amazing because Indiana can now start taking the five-star running back who isn't starting at USC and they can build their team through a different way. But it just, that's great. But, you know, transferring is a two-way ticket, not just a one-way in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it's going to be the, the sport as we know it is changing for sure. I'm, I'm just not totally sure yet how dramatic it is. At least yeah. like in the next like two three years. I'm just I'm not I'm not I'm not quite sure how much the ground is shifting beneath our feet at the moment. How do you like the uh, the plan that we had before this, and then me just completely hijacking it? And talking yeah, yeah, about we did not plan to talk about transfers for 25 minutes, but I thought that was interesting. Um, I do want to make sure that we talk about some of the things we had here. Uh, one of them being JT Tuimaloau, who uh, is a class of 2021, you might remember. Talk about him quite a bit on the show, and we've just been waiting for months and months to see what was going to happen with him. And he has his visits uh, scheduled all this month, uh, as reported by Brandon Huffman at 247 Sports. He will go to Washington uh, this coming weekend, and then he's got like a two-week sprint that's like kind of insane. USC, June 14th to 16th, Ohio State, June 18th to 20th, Oregon, June 20th to 22nd, and Alabama, June 25th. To 27. So, so he's, he's starting making, like, the, the Oregon visit the day he leaves Ohio State? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like, he's just hopping on a plane from Columbus back home. I guess he's flying he right to Portland. he would just do it geographically. Like, why would you, you know, just... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's got, like, some basketball stuff going on yeah. that he's trying to work around. I'm not I'm not totally sure why he's doing it. trying to get the There miles, definitely seems like a more streamlined way to do this. Do the recruits it. get to keep the airline miles? I was wondering that, because they don't pay for the tickets. But, like, uh, I don't know how that works. I don't know if you book the flight and then submit the receipts to the school or the school just books the flight for you i mean i know when i travel for work i'm paying with my credit card 
Right. So, like, are the Tui, is the Tui Maloal family just racking up the airline miles and then everyone else is footing the bill? Because that'd be sweet. Yeah. Maybe maybe some Marriott nights. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. JT is going to be in Hawaii for a month after he's done all his official visits. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's insane. I know that there's a lot, too. Like, I got a mailbag question for the recruiting mailbag this week about how much do coaching staffs obsess over sequence and order of or yeah. sequence of the visits. And it's just like, how do you feel if you're an Ohio State fan and Ohio State's just in the middle? It's like, I look at it and see the Saban's closing. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I, I thought that, too. And what's even more interesting, like this this recruitment is so secretive that I don't think anybody knows when JT Tumaloa is actually going to show up on campus. But, like, Ohio State has a summer session that I believe starts on June 22nd. So two days after his Ohio State visit is done. And, like, in theory, he could do that visit, love Ohio State, who's been considered the leader for a while now, and just, like, never leave Columbus and then enroll two days later and, and get going with his life. Um, but that would mean skipping his Alabama visit, which I don't think is going to happen. So if you like look at the academic calendar, look at where Ohio State falls in the in his visit schedule, like you can get a little nervous about that. But I also think the way this is playing out, like he might not show up on anyone's campus until August. I think that's been the plan, right? I, that's what I've assumed is the plan, but I don't. I've talked to his high school coach. I've not talked with anybody like closer than that to JT. Yeah, um, to know. I mean, if you were an Ohio State coaching staff member, where would you want the visit to land? Last. Is it always last? Um, I guess it depends on who you're up against. But when Alabama's in the mix, last. I think yeah. when Alabama and Clemson are in the mix, you want to go last. And Kerry Combs said that once. I asked Kerry Combs. I think I might have asked Kerry Combs a question for a story that you were writing during the playoff about Ohio State and Clemson recruiting against each other, and I asked him about Thanks, that. Man. He said the thing. He said the thing that worries him about Clemson is, is like when kids go on visit, visits to Clemson, you get worried because they're so good at it. Um, and I think Alabama and Ohio State are obviously in that same class. So when you're going up against those three, you want to be last. I think. Yeah, and I don't want to change the subject a little bit, but the one thing that Ohio State has working for it in Clemson and Alabama is that they have the the money, the resources, and the infrastructure to host these visits. I sometimes, like, you think Ohio State's got a 10-person recruiting staff, video guys, uh, talent breakdown guys, visit people who, who, who do all the logistics of visiting, getting the golf carts ready and all that stuff. It's like, can you imagine just being a one-man show at Texas Tech <laughs> right now? No, and I, I, I wonder how much that would be. And I don't know if Texas Tech only has. A, I know Iran Hodges is their player personnel director now, but like I don't know. I, I just use that as an example because there are one person, two two person staffs out there doing recruiting, going against these juggernauts that have the resources to do it. It's like, could you imagine being a one person staff at a Mac school right now, like having to figure this all out? Are programs hiring temp workers to help with recruiting visits this this month? I mean, you seem to have like a wedding planner in there, just shadow like you know, what is it, moonlighting as just yeah. a, a, an events <laughs> right. planner. It's like people don't think about all the stuff that goes into an official visit. Like I was on the phone with somebody uh, who was a, a recruiting coordinator in the Power Five earlier in the week, and they're like, I don't know if we have enough golf carts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just like random fans would not just think like, oh, my God, does my team have enough golf carts for how many people are coming? Well, it's like you mentioned at the beginning, like Ohio State's going to have uh, – Aaron Dunstan, who's the new on-campus recruiting coordinator for Ohio State, was hired in March, said that they have – 51 approved official visitors and certainly there could be more than that but like half of them are this weekend because the entire recruiting class is coming this weekend and there's probably another 10 guys who aren't committed coming this weekend it's like how do you 
who gets the golf cats, cart? man? Hey, yeah, who gets the uh, I can tell you who gets the golf cart. Zach Race gets the golf cart. <laughs> Zach well, Race you, gets the drive. You don't think Quinn Ewers gets a golf Quinn cart? Ewers gets the, <laughs> Quinn Ewers gets the drive a golf cart, yeah. Quinn Ewers is going to have a, a, a golf cart with his name spray painted on it. Um, yeah. That'd be a really funny headline. Who gets the golf cart? Question mark. <laughs> How Ohio State plans to logistically make it through this month. Yeah, it's insane. But back to JT. Yeah. I'm, uh, uh, his recruitment played out, obviously, in the weirdest year ever, so maybe that's just what this is. But there is a fascinating level of ownership with this recruitment that I'm not sure we've seen much, if at all, in the last five to ten years for a guy who's a five-star prospect, number one player in the country, depending on who you talk to. Like, he's just – he's owned this entire thing. He's not let any college – sort of like set his agenda he set his own agenda to the point where it's june and we know where he's visiting but we don't even know when he's going to enroll yet looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100 guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Is there any part of this in your mind that you think is precedent-scenting for the small handful of prospects each year who could probably afford to operate this way? Well, what do you think is um, the biggest thing? I think that's an interesting word, ownership. Like, what do you think it is? Do you think it's the terms that he set for himself, or is it the lack of discussion about what he plans to do? Uh, Why do you feel that he has more ownership over his recruitment rather than a guy like, I don't know, um, Corey Foreman? Um, I think because of his, like, there's like it's radio silence for the most part on social media. He talks to one reporter through which he disseminates information. Um, even the schools that are recruiting him, I don't think disseminate a ton of information about him because, frankly, I don't think they have much. Um, he just somehow, and I think maybe it's just a byproduct of the fact that kids aren't able to go places uh, or weren't able to go places over the last 15 months. That he just like kind of kept everything incredibly close to the vest. And and maybe if it were normal, they wouldn't have been able to pull that off um, as as expertly as they seem to have done. But like there's there's narrative around every recruitment, right? And like they seem to have been very much in control of theirs from the start. Yeah, I think that the the interesting thing about this is, and you mentioned it already, but there's only what five people a year that could do this. Yeah, if that, yeah, you know. And I think that the fact that he's a really really good talent helps in the ability to set the the agenda, but. I sometimes wonder, and I and I don't want to say this out loud because we write about these guys and we, um, you know, make a living telling their stories. But I think there's a certain aura of um, even more so than his talent, but of just wondery when it comes to him. People don't have any idea what's going on, and the fact that schools aren't giving out information because he's not giving out information, and reporters aren't giving out information because they're not talking to him. 
makes the idea, like the legend of JT Tuimalau a little bit bigger than just, you know, because Corey For Foreman sure. is rated higher than him, right? Or I don't know if the rankings I believe he is, yeah. I think that's right. And it just, like, Corey Foreman had a pretty dramatic recruitment, but we kind of knew one step ahead of, like, what he was doing the entire course of time. And it's just like, JT Tuimalau could just go to Washington and be like, okay, this is all where I want, this is all I wanted to see. But the fact of the matter is, is that like you can infer things based on behavior a lot of time. We do that all the time in this business. And the fact that he didn't commit and waited this long to do it um, makes you feel like it would be kind of contradictory if he enrolled somewhere before visiting everywhere because the whole reason he didn't enroll to begin with is because he didn't see it. And if he only wanted to see one place, then, you know, the whole thing of, I mean, he could have driven to Washington and, you know, I mean, he's in the Seattle area. So um, the one thing too, is that, I mean, I think who, who's the running back at TCU, Zach uh, Evans, Zach Evans. Yeah. Last year he was a late signee and had a lot of weird things happening and that was exciting. But I think the fact that he's waited this long to do it is also added to the intrigue. And the reason why he waited to do it this long is because of a circumstance that hopefully won't reappear again. So like the, the idea of precedent is interesting and I'm more interested in, will the precedent of his recruitment be followed in the sense of they have nothing to gain by telling people what they're doing? Yeah, I think that's more what I mean. Because I, I, I think, think you're right. The timeline is not necessarily replicable. Although it does highlight the fact that like you don't have to sign a national letter of intent. You don't have to enroll in January. You don't have to enroll in June. You can show up in August with a financial aid agreement and be eligible to play right away. And like, I don't think enough – I don't even know if enough prospects like know that. Um, and certainly I don't think a lot of people who follow recruiting um, – know that too like there's a there's another avenue besides like signing your letter of intent in a high school ceremony in december and enrolling in january which is what we see more and more like jt is showing us that yeah i just don't know what a a player would have to gain to do this that's all you know it's like he has something to gain because he's going to be one of the few uh, was he the only uh 2021 prospect that will have taken five official visits probably Um, so if that's the case then he gained that but in a normal year I don't know. Most of these kids want to enroll early and get their college career started. I mean, we're, we're starting to see like Tony Grimes at UNC didn't want to wait so long that he, he upped his year and, and graduated a year early from high school and enrolled early. It's just like, I don't know. I think that a player that is usually in his position has his eyes set on starting immediately and getting in for spring is usually more important than, than dragging it out. So I think that the timeline of this will, will certainly be rare but I don't know if the the intrigue and this the bona fide I don't know what's happening here is going to be like a new thing. Yeah, I think I think that's where I'm at too. Um, the timeline is just so jacked up that it's not. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we're not in a position where that has to happen again. All right, before we wrap up, do you want to run through a couple of guys who are visiting this month? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and take the the offensive line show, and I'll just put my head on a pillow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we just want to. We're not going to highlight all the visitors because there's like across all classes, there's like 200 of them, right? Maybe even more than that. But some of the guys who are officially visiting the 2022 class that we think are important and like at the top of the list of guys you'd like to see Ohio State get a uh, commitment from. Uh, the guy at the top for me is Zach Rice, offensive tackle from Lynchburg, Virginia, the number one tackle in the country, is visiting this first weekend with a bunch of Ohio State's commits, which I think is noteworthy, but he's also got a bunch of visits after that. Um, and it's the same thing we talk about all the time, right? It's like they got to – at some point, I, I think they need to win one of these national five-star offensive tackle battles. And it's not to write off the fact that they got Parrish Johnson or they got Nick Petit-Frere back in 2018 because of a connection with Greg Schiano, but like – 
get in the mix for a five-star offensive tackle where it's like Alabama and Oklahoma and Georgia and Clemson and whoever and like win one because they haven't won one in quite some time. And I think Zach It's just Rice, odd. It's just odd. It's weird. It's weird because yeah. they've done it with interior offensive linemen. Um, they're just not with tackles. Um, so Zach Rice is in that boat. And I think Cam Dewberry, who's visiting at the end of June from Texas, who's lower ranked than Zach Rice, but still a five-star prospect is the same kind of deal. So like those in terms of positional needs and like splashy commitments and stuff that would like make me think even more highly of what Ohio state's doing recruiting wise. I think it starts with those two guys for me. Yeah. I think that offensive line is just, we've had the the conversation a hundred times. I don't know that we have to have it again, but you know, getting elite level players like Nicholas petite for to be like regular, you know? And like now it's like you, you could make the argument that Ohio state has, potentially two of the top three or four offensive tackles in the country this year. So I wonder if that'll change things a little bit. Um, but the one that I'm I'm most excited about is um, defensive tackles and defensive linemen. And, like, Amari Aber is coming. Uh, it would be my number one thing because he's from Texas. I think there's obviously that, that pool of will Ohio State continue that pipeline, you know, there. I know uh, Oklahoma's firmly in the mix there, and they are, like, their number one thing is get elite defensive linemen, you know? So I think that there's a lot at play uh, for a kid in the Dallas area who I'm going to try to go see. <laughs> I don't know if I'm just trying to pump myself up, but he is the type of guy too. It's like national defensive lineman. I don't know. You, you could make a case that Larry Johnson isn't necessarily, I mean, Jack Sawyer and some of the guys that are in this club, I'm not saying he hasn't done a great job, but I think Larry Johnson's resume doesn't necessarily match what he could be doing from a national level at that position. Yeah, he hasn't. I guess you can make this argument that he hasn't had to go outside of Ohio to get that guy the last few years. Like he got Zach Harrison in nineteen, he got Jack Sawyer last year, but yeah. like Chase Young was the last guy in seventeen out of Maryland that you could I think consider like a a national national guy, like a Corey Foreman type player. And this this guy right. isn't necessarily that, but he's a top twenty five player in Texas. Yeah, five, yep. And I think he could play inside outside. Um, it would also I, like in Sark's first. And I actually don't put it too much on Sark, but like you want to talk about Ohio State's momentum in Texas. But Ohio State puts together a 2022 class that has Quinn Ewers, Caleb Burton, and Amari Abor. And who knows, like maybe like Jalen Early or something like that to get an offensive lineman out of Texas too, if they could do that. Um, that would be a hell of a statement, I think, by Ohio State to continue to do that while Texas seems to have like a little bit more juice than maybe it's had in the last couple of years. Um, so he's a big one. And another defensive lineman <clears throat> on the subject of one-on-one workouts, Kristen Miller, a defensive tackle from Ellenwood, Georgia, which is where Antoine Jackson is from, has an official visit scheduled for later in the month, but is on campus on Wednesday doing a workout with Larry Johnson, which I think is noteworthy when a guy goes out of his way and pays his own way to go do that. Um, he's a borderline top 100 defensive tackle. They don't have one in this class yet. I think I think that's a position of And that's me. where I think Larry Johnson can excel, too. I think any defensive lineman, and that would probably be a good story if you want to get your Mark Cuban pen out, but like in a world where one-on-one things are happening with position coaches – the thing that everybody loves about Larry Johnson other than his resume is the fact that he is like a very relatable coach and somebody who is charismatic, but also very, very knowledgeable of the game. And I think any defense, how many defensive linemen over the course of the past five years have said, I'm coming to Ohio state because Larry Johnson knows how to coach me better than anybody in the country. And it's like those (laughs) one-on-one workouts is a display of that knowledge. Right. So that, that, I think that's really big, you know, and you know, I, I think that, it's possible. It wouldn't surprise me if Ohio State's defensive line uh, gets a gem or two as a result of these workouts. I think I think that's where they could do the most work for sure. Um, there's some stuff with the guys in the secondary too. Zion Branch, Xavier Nwampa, who we've mentioned before, um, I think is 
or think are two guys who are worth keeping an eye on. They'll they'll visiting this first weekend too. But it's going to be a busy weekend of visit or big busy month of visits. Excuse me for Ohio State camps are happening as well. Um, there's actually camp happening today, which clearly I'm not at because we're doing this podcast. Um, but I'm going to pop over to the Woody for a few of them here over the next few weeks to. Um, get an eye on who Ohio State's working out, who's getting the most attention. I think it's always fascinating, like, who they pull into the Woody for individual workouts and um, who they who they divert their time to uh, at these camps. And there's always, like, surprises that emerge, too, particularly with in-state guys. So uh, I'm glad we're here. I don't know. I, like, those days are long, Ari, right, going to those one-day camps over at the Woody. But um, it's been a while since we've been able to do that, so I'm excited that it's happening. You know, it's like the, those one-day camps at the Woody, it's always, like, Really good players come, and you. Some of them are so good that you didn't realize they were good before you got there. And then it's always the like, you know, finger go. He's going to Urban's yeah. office. It's like I wonder if that if those days are going to be replaced by the one on ones. It feels um, like the Bachelor. You know, we got a one on one, one one on one date. The the camps are the group date. Um, well, I, I think that, yeah, I think they could be for twenty twos, but not for twenty threes because I don't think twenty threes are allowed to do that. I think that's only for rising seniors. Are allowed to do those one-on-one individual workouts, and yeah, frankly, yeah, unofficial visits. Frankly, you you lose a little something with those, I think, because like for instance, I don't know, it's like Sonny Styles is camping at Ohio State today, and it's like Sonny Styles is clearly a guy you want to get your hands on for a one-on-one workout at some point. But I think there's more to be gained by putting Sonny Styles in competitive situations where he's like actually having to cover people rather than just like running around cones and shit like that. So. Um, I like the one-on-one. I think it's a it's a good thing for the players and, and coaches to have, but I still think you probably get more out of normal competitive camp situations than you would in that. And like, you know, there's just no, there's on no me, wide receiver versus DB stuff. That's absolutely right. That's a great point, um, especially because at those camps you might be going against a five-star receiver. Um, but I wonder if you know how these. I think we view these one-on-one workouts as like. You have to work out for an hour for an assistant coach, and you need to prove you're athletic and good enough to get that offer. But it also could be used as, like, you're a five-star prospect. We love you. You're number one on our board. We'll take you right now. But if you want to know what it's like to be coached by me, let's go have a workout. Right. Exactly. And it might just it might not just be, like, to to prove your worth. It might just be almost like a, a, a trial date where you just go out with somebody where you don't know that well and – you know, you feel like you like them, but you really get a chance to get an understanding of what it's like to be coached on the field by that person. You know, and I think you kind I, yeah. of get that to a certain extent in the camp setting because these assistants work the camps. But I can't imagine what it would be like to be a five-star offensive tackle from Dallas or defensive tackle or defensive lineman from Dallas who got to s- learn from Larry Johnson for an hour. And I think that that's the key for a guy like Larry Johnson. Right? And it's, I don't think it's something we talk about enough, like the other side of that of that relationship. Like, obviously, there are guys who just show up to try to prove their worth to try to get an offer. But if you're showing up, you already have an offer, and you know Ohio State wants you, um, getting an hour or two hours or three hours, whatever it is, to figure out whether or not you could see yourself being coached by that person for the next three years is is pretty important. Um, it's, not, it's not just the coach's – getting eyeballs on the players. It's the players getting a vibe for how they mesh with the coach in a practice setting, because that's where they're going to spend the majority of their time together for the next three or four or five years. Yeah. Uh, do you, is your notepad of story ideas just like six pages long right now? I have a, uh, a Google doc of story ideas. It's pretty long. <laughs> it's pretty long. I, uh, yeah. I'm regretting. I wish I would have had more foresight because um, we're moving so, like, we're in the process of packing all this stuff up. 
finding a new place to live in Columbus, selling our house. We're going on vacation at the end of the month, and it's like this is the busiest month of Ohio State football, like ever. <laughs> so the timing, the timing of this for me could have could have been better for sure. I feel feeling a little overwhelmed at the moment. Uh, well, uh, my fiance and I closed on our house on a Wednesday and went to San Diego for a week on a Friday, and our nice. we, didn't, we didn't move until that Thursday. So that I've been there, but yeah, and that doesn't yeah. on top of all the work that we have. So, but I do think that uh, you're you're a pro. You'll you'll get through it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. It's not. Yeah, I'm not unfortunately going to be able to go to the camp on today on Wednesday, but the weather's also kind of crappy, so I'm not too upset about that. But I'll be there. Uh, they go the eighth, the ninth, the fifteenth, the sixteenth, and the twenty second, and I'll be there for probably at least three of those, if not four of them, before I head out of town on vacation. Going to go to Manchester, New Hampshire, and stop at that pure tobacco room we went to when he wrote that story on what, Ryan Day. What are you doing on a nice little road trip in the in the Northeast or what? We're going to Maine. Yeah, we're driving to Maine. Go to the beach in Maine for a few days. Um, but we're going to stop at Manchester on the way. What's some, the what beach the... Um, that you go to in Maine that's like through Manchester? Couldn't tell you. Never been there before. Um, I wrote like, about uh, this. I went there. We're near Portland. No, we're. It's like north of Portland, south of Augusta, I think, but I couldn't tell you the name of the town. I'm googling it right now. Be there. Um, we need a lot of lobster. Drink some beer. Yeah, there. I had a really, really good lobster roll. Oh, Hampton, Hampton Beach. Hampton uh, Beach. And there is a arcade. That's like right on the boardwalk, and I'm sure they had them all in Philly in the New Jer- New Jersey boardwalk. There's always like the ar- open air arcades that are right on the boardwalk for the kids. Ryan Day used to work there. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna just be be super creepy about it and just like tour Ryan Day's. Uh, I literally did middle, that middle school. Yeah, but you were doing it for a purpose. You were writing a story about it. I'm just going on vacation <laughs> as a shrine. I text Ryan, like, "Hey Ryan, where should I go now?" Like, please. Yeah, you should. <laughs> uh, he he probably will tell you. Um, Lose this phone number. I'll tell you though that the thing that I that Puritan Backroom, that place that Ryan Day used to work, that restaurant that everybody in Manchester goes to, is known for their chicken fingers. And I will tell you that they are worth the drive itself. Like, you are you actually going to go there? Yes. We're yeah. We already have plans to meet someone for lunch there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, there's a bar area. The portions are heavy. <laughs> the fries are delicious, and they also have different heats that you can use in a, a great assortment of sauces. And it's like the gourmet version of Cane's. Oh wow, sold. I mean, what? It's just chicken fingers on a big plate of French fries, but it's all high quality, good stuff. Yeah, you, you can, can tell. Make, you can tell. I think it's hard to make chicken fingers bad, but you can make them like very average. So I'm looking for above average to, to great chicken fingers here. Yeah, I think uh, I think you'll be able to to achieve that there. Nice, nice. Um, I'm trying to think of all the things that I ate out there. I'll let you know off the air, but yeah, uh, you know it's uh, it's definitely worth the trip. And, and they they everybody in that town hyped it up, and I went there. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna suck because every time somebody hypes up something, you know, it was really good. Anyone who's listening to this who's experienced in New England, we're going to be in Burlington, Vermont for like a day and a half. Um, Are you going to drive get through Man- snowboard for me? Yeah. Drive through Manchester, and then we're staying in some beach town in, in Maine. I forget what it's called. But if anyone has recommendations in that general vicinity, hit up your boy on Twitter, BillLandis25, or shoot me an email, BillLandis at TheAthletic.com. We appreciate it. And Ari, uh, please send me your itinerary from your road trip when you wrote that profile of Ryan Day. I remember one time I got done really late, and it was like 8 o'clock, and I stayed at a Fairfield Inn next to a shopping mall, and I just smashed food in the food court. 
It was a kind of a sad meal. Uh, But it was just like, I didn't have time to go find a cool restaurant. Um, Oh, there's that other pizza place too uh, that Ryan Day used to go to all the time. It's in the story. All all these places are in the story. I got to go read the story. And it was a pretty solid slice of pie too. So yeah, if you're going out there and you get fresh lobster rolls and you're doing the, you're you're not going to come back hungry. Might try to stop in New Haven, Connecticut on the way because we're going to Jersey from Maine. Might try to stop in New Haven, Connecticut and get a slice or two on the way down there because that's apparently a pretty good pizza city. So. I plan my vacations according to where I can eat the best food, if you've not noticed, which if you're not doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. I think most so. people do it that way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really cool place. The re- the thing I like about Maine and New Hampshire is that these are the types of places that you have to make a point to go to. It's like if you think about all the cities that we've gone to for work, you know, New Orleans, California, you know, the list goes on. Dallas, like these are all major cities that we've all been to through work for like natural or like unintended reasons like to go to Maine you have to make a point to go there and like I was lucky enough to get to go to Manchester for work because of Ryan Day's history but when you're there it's kind of like you enjoy it a little bit more because you just have this feeling of like I don't know when I'm ever going to come back here you know because it's not something that you would just happen to have to go to um and it's a really beautiful area and in the summertime I was there in the summer too it's amazing and I yeah, heard I'm that excited. Vermont is like one of the most beautiful states in the country. And I don't know if like fall is the, 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 the peak time, but you know, I heard there's an emerging maple syrup conglomerate up there. That you can go check out and, uh, you know, let's be from Vermont and let's have an emerging maple syrup conglomerate. <laughs> I meant to, uh, I meant to work in a quote from, uh, from the breakup at the beginning of this, talking about how busy you were going to be over the next month and say, that's what we in the biz like to call crunch time. That's, and then after June, this is what we in the biz like to call party time. Party time. <laughs> um, I have an interesting uh, thing I wanted to ask you because somebody asked me this uh, in a text message in a group chat yesterday, and I had no idea how to answer it. And, I, and okay. the fact that you brought that up just reminded me of it. You know, we're still recording our podcast, right? Yes. Yes. Well, if you're, if you're out on this stuff, man, then we'll, we'll see you next week. But this is this is the good stuff. And it's not even food related. Rank the top these next three movies in order from best to worst. Super bad. <clears throat> forgetting Sarah Marshall and the breakup. Oh, man. Um, I think I would go. Man, that's really tough, isn't it? I think the best of those three is forgetting Sarah Marshall, and I would go two break up three super bad. All of us agreed that Super Bad, who is one of the top ten favorite movies of all time, was three on that list. And I know there's going to be like breakup hatred, but I put breakup one. I could get on board with the breakup one. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who don't like that movie or maybe just don't like Dig Vince, Vince Vaughn's thing, but I think you and I very much do. <laughs> so, um, no, I can get on board. Also, the, I, the supporting characters in the breakup are all tens. Yeah, I think they're all tens in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, too. I know, but like if you go down the list, like Jason There's Bateman more of is in more the, of breakup, the breakup, and Jason yeah. Bateman's role in the breakup is borderline laugh out loud fall yeah. out of your chair funny and it's not supposed this to is be. a situation where i just as soon not take not charge you a commission <laughs> company policy says i cannot waive that cannot waive that okay <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> but but the the pervert brother the singing yeah. the singing yeah. uh brother-in-law yeah uh both of his brothers like the even, neurotic brother played by vincent d'onofrio yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Really good. all right i think you're convincing yeah. me that the breakout's number one 
and John Favreau. We didn't even talk about. Yeah, you're smart. Yeah, Favreau. Say, say it louder. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're smart. Say it louder. And the program records keystrokes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, breakups one. Forgetting Simon Rushell's two and Super Bad's three. Yeah, we're on we're yeah, on okay. we're on the same page, and That's they're all question. great. They're all ten. Yeah, so, they're yeah. all great. Yeah, yeah. Super, I watched Superbad not that long ago. There are some parts of Superbad that like maybe don't hold up all that well, but um, it's a pretty funny movie still. I would I would tell you my uh, favorite parts of Superbad right now, but I would get fired. So we'll yeah, talk yeah, about we them when we're done. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the most raunchy, and I think probably like beat for beat probably has the most jokes in it. But I think the other two are better movies. Yeah. Um, anyway, for the seven of you still listening, thank you for listening to four to six with AMB again, Brizzy crazy month of recruiting for Ohio state. Uh, we'll have probably more conversation on the podcast about it. Um, stories coming over the next month too, uh, most likely as well. And, and JT Tumalo, I think is, is the big one to monitor to see how that plays out. But I think we have a few weeks still to, to figure out how that ultimately resolves itself. So thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Subscribe to the athletic, theathletic.com slash four dash six. Leave us a five star review on Apple. If you're able to, that helps us out a ton and we'll talk to you guys next week.